Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. I would love actually to spend the time telling you about my leather jackets and the, the very cool bands that were on the back that did play at Glastonbury this year. And gutted am I that I actually got rid of the, the leather jacket many years ago, thinking that it wasn't cool. And now look what happens. It all comes back again, doesn't it? Oh, but it is great to be here. Lovely to be spending this time with you, I know, I can't believe, we're, well, I can believe we've been friends for so long. That's all right. And that's something to embrace and to, to be proud of and to treasure. So I'm looking forward to lunch later and to celebrating that friendship. Um, just a little bit more about me, just so you can sort of locate me. Um, I come from Chichester, so we've driven up from there this morning. Um, part of the of Revelation Church, which some of you will know, has good connections with this church, which is where Pete and Sammy came from years ago, which is why we know each other so well. Live down there with my two grown-up daughters, who, as grown-up daughters do, has sort of come come back and you know come and live for a while, and then go off somewhere else, and then finally have to come and live back again. So, um, so do live with them at different points of different stages for them. And I'm one of the directors of Tear Fund, which I'm sure many of you here will know of. If you don't, Tear Fund is uh, Christian development and humanitarian and advocacy organisation. We work in around 40 or so of the countries around the world, working um, really in some of the poorest communities in the world. And we work with and through and alongside the local church. So Tear Fund doesn't kind of go in and build a school or provide mosquito nets or something. We go in and work and partner with the local church to find out what are the needs in that community and then to work with the church to help the church to be meeting those needs and to be accessing the resources that they need to do that. Uh, the only time when we will go in in a more um, sort of parachuting type way, I guess, is if there's a, a humanitarian disaster, such as with the Turkey and Syria earthquake last year. But even that, then, we will look for church partners to work through because... Our experience tells us that before any aid agencies has got onto the ground, before the Red Cross or UNICEF is there, anywhere in the world the church will already be there. You know when there's a crisis, it's the church that just naturally responds. So when there is a crisis somewhere, the church really are the first responders before the aid agencies get in. And so we work through the church and we'll support them and help them with, uh, with whatever support they're giving in that area. So it's a real privilege to work for them. I oversee our advocacy and campaigning work and our theology work and some areas of comms as well. And um, just help support Tear Fund to do the amazing and brilliant work that it does. 
So as Pete said, we are here on this very special Sunday, not only because it's Pete's birthday, but also because it is the Sunday before COP28. Do you put out your hand if you know what I mean when I say COP28. Yeah, brilliant. Pretty much most of you. For those who don't, COP uh, stands for Conference of the Parties. I don't know why they don't call it something sensible like climate change talks, but they, it's Conference of the Parties and it is UN climate change talks. And nearly every country in the world attends. The governments and negotiation, negotiators turn up and there's two weeks of talks. They've been happening for over 30 years now. And back in 2015, when they were in Paris, there, there was what is seen as this um, historic Paris Agreement, where all of the countries, apart from a few, all of the countries of the world agreed uh, this climate change treaty. And now, since then, they're working that out, looking at their commitments, sort of going back to say how they're getting on with them, looking at what their roadmap's going to be, and so on. This year, over the next two weeks, they're meeting in Abu Dhabi. It happens in a different place every year. And they are key times for climate to get back onto the agenda in the way that it needs to be and for it to be looked at seriously and, and for the governments to say how they are or aren't getting on. And there's continual negotiation that, that happens in them. So why are we here looking at this on, on a Sunday? Has this political set of negotiations got anything to do with our Christian faith? Well, obviously, I want to say yes, it does. And I would like to look with you at Psalm 146. So if you've got a Bible with you or it's on your phone or something, do open it up, turn it on, have a look. So, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Don't put your trust in princes, in human beings who can't save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord knows the righteous, loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. And I, I love this psalm and think it can speak into the situation that we're in today and into our thinking around climate. And I just want to pull a few points out from that. Firstly, praise the Lord. What, what a strange place to start when we're thinking about the issue of climate change. 
Surely when it comes to climate, we need to start with science and with the different theories, or we start with politics and the political negotiations. And the, sadly, I think we are getting into a politicized um, state in our UK. Um, not quite where we are in the US yet, but I, sadly it is being used as a political football now increasingly, which we've really, as people are saying, we've really got to stand against. So when it comes to climate, we could start in that place and we can think about the things that are happening and the changes that are coming from it. Surely we don't start by saying praise the Lord. But I want us to follow this psalm in starting in that place because as Christians, we start with God. And when we're thinking about the climate crisis and the wider environmental crisis that we're facing, this isn't just a secular agenda. This is a God agenda. This is something that goes right to the heart of who God is. And I want to unpack that from this psalm. But I want to start very clearly on that, that biblical theological foundation of God. That we are here today thinking about this. Yes, of course, the science and politics and etc. all comes into it. But primarily, we are here today because we are looking at this from a God perspective. And so in all things, we start with God and we start with praising him. So who is this God who we praise? There are two basic points that the psalmist pulls out. The psalmist goes on to say, God is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. It's a really basic affirmation that the psalmist gives us here. God is the creator of the heaven and the earth. He is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the foundational statement that our whole faith stands on. Before the, the declaration that God is saviour, before that is God is creator. That is the first thing, and then everything builds on that. If you were Anglican, you may well be in a church where you say that every Sunday you stand up and you declare, I believe in God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's the first thing that we see in our Bibles. The whole biblical narrative, that whole long collection of books, is based on that first thing in those first few verses of Genesis 1, that God created this world. It's such a basic thing that I wonder whether we miss how important it is for us. Some of us may have been brought up with the kind of theology that says, our Christian faith is about worship and evangelism, praying, reading the Bible, going out and picking up litter or enjoying the birds or taking care of your, your local river way or getting involved in a group in a local park or uh, enjoying the flowers that are around you. Yeah, they're really nice and we enjoy doing that, but, but that's not really a Christian thing, is it? But I want to say that it is, that it goes to the heart of the God we worship, the God who has created all things. Genesis 1.31 tells us that God looked at all that he had made 
And what did he say? God said, it is. <laughs> Thank you. God looked at each. You were there before, you know already. <laughs> At the end of each day, so to speak, God looked and he said, it's good. And then when we get to the end of day six, the final day of, of God creating things, not the final day of creation, God looks at all that he's made and he said, it's very good. The totality, the summation of all things is very good. You could, if you want to follow this up theologically and go off on a bit of a tangent and look at this later, you could compare that with Ephesians um, 2 and, Col and Colossians 1, with the, the God being the head, Jesus being the head of all things, tapantes, the Greek, the all things, the summation, the wholeness. I kind of think Paul is mirroring Genesis 1.31, but I'll, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, uh, you can have a look at that uh, in your own time. So God looked at all that he'd made and said, it's very good. So I do know a little bit of Greek, but I don't know much Hebrew. And my unacademic understanding of that is that God looked at all that he'd made and he said, it's fantastic. I love it. Do you know when you've made something amazing, you've, you've got a number one song in the US. You, you, <laughs> you've done something incredible and you've got a certificate on the wall or you've made an amazing meal or you've done a brilliant piece of homework or college assignment or something and you say to the loved one whoever's around you look at this look at what I've done isn't that amazing and that's kind of what God is doing here God loves this world and we see all through the scriptures actually God's involvement and love for and care for his creation. You look at Job 38 and 39 and some of the Psalms, it, there's no idea that God has just created this world and then sort of pushed it off and kind of let us get on with it while we wait to get into heaven. God is involved all the way through. Sometimes we have this a kind of implicit idea in our minds that we have the world here and then God is somewhere over here, a little bit separate to the world. And probably humans maybe are a, are a bit here. Uh, and that isn't what you get in the scriptures. Firstly, humans are very much part of the world. We're not separate. We're part of the ecosystems. We are a creature. We don't have our own day. We might wish that we had our own day of creation to make us feel special, but we don't. We were created on the same day as other creatures. So we are here as part of the natural world. And also, I think it's wrong to see God as completely separate. Because that's not saying that I think it's all just blurred and that the natural world is divine, is God. But I think we miss the connectedness and the integration of the God we worship with the wider natural world. There's some beautiful medieval theology that um, picks up on the, the hymn in Philippians 2. Um, and uh, again, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of this, you can write down there's a Greek word of kenosis, and you can look that up later and look up Philippians 2 and see how that plays in there. But it's the idea of God limiting 
himself. And there's this medieval theological thought that in creating, God withdrew in order to make space within God's self for the creation to exist. If we think that God is life and outside of life, outside of God, there is no life, that's where that idea comes from, that God withdraws, I can only do it like this, and because I can't really explain it in words, and makes space within God's self. It's a bit sort of womb-like, isn't it? Makes space within God's self for creation. Can you get your head around that? I can't. Again, it's not saying that all that creation is divine, is God. There, there very definitely is a separateness there. But I think we've separated out so much that we don't see that linking and integration. All creation is God-breathed. It's come from God's mouth, from his words. When we look at the climate crisis, we see how it is devastating the natural world. Have, um, have any of you been watching David Attenborough's series? <laughs> Fabulous. If you haven't, make sure you watch it, because they are so good. And it becomes a bit of a recurrent theme, though, doesn't it, as he's going through the amazingness and the beauty. The, a little theme that comes through is the impact that the climate crisis is having on the natural world and how much is changing there. I can remember speaking at a conference a little while ago, and it was over two days, and I was spending sort of much longer time with them unpacking a biblical thinking around environmental care. And we'd had our first day. And then the next morning, I was just, I was like up here getting ready for my second session. And a young woman came up to uh, talk with me, and she said, that morning before coming in, She'd been sitting on the floor, actually playing with Lego, very apt for what's happening down here, and playing with Lego with her young son. And they were, they were making houses, and she had built a house out of Lego. And she was very proud of it. She thought she'd done a really good job of it. And while she sat on the floor looking at her house, her son, her young son, stood up and toddled over to where she was and went, and knocked the whole thing over. And she said, I looked at it, and I looked at him, and I heard God say to me, and how do you think I feel about how you're treating my house? And she said it was a real moment. She saw for the first time how much God loves the whole world. And therefore, how important it is for us who love God to be taking care of it. How dare we treat something so badly that is so precious to him? How dare we say that we love God and that we worship him and yet treat so disrespectfully something that is so valuable and so loved by him. And so as we think about the climate crisis, we do so out of that understanding that we worship the Lord of all creation 
and that this is part of our worship and our discipleship and how we walk with and honour the Lord of all creation. And then the psalm goes on from there to another beautiful affirmation about who God is. I wonder if I was to ask you, what, how would you describe God? What words would you say? I don't know what you might say. God is all-powerful, amazing, all-wonderful, and uh, whatever you might say. But the psalmist hones in on one particular aspect of God's character. God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. And then it goes on with more explanation beyond that. I love that. When it comes to the psalmist, what does the psalmist immediately think about God? That God is the creator and that God is a God of justice. A God who, in, in other psalms, lifts the, the needy from the dust heap. A God who calls us to spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. There was, uh, uh, there is um, some of us who are longer, who are older uh, in the Christian world will know of an American called Jim Wallace, who's an activist, a social activist, and a um, Bible teacher and preacher and so on. Many, many years ago, when he was a young man at Bible college, he had a friend who ripped out of his Bible every page that talked about poverty or hunger, oppression, justice, money, all of those themes, ripped all of those pages out of his Bible. And when he'd finished, he had this really threadbare Bible that, uh, that was missing huge chunks. And Jim said to his friend, could, could I borrow that Bible? So for some time, he would travel around the States when he was speaking in churches, holding up this Bible and saying, your holy Bible is full of holes. If you're not practicing justice, if you're not caring for people living in poverty, if you're not involved in that side, then, then your faith is full of holes. Because when we look in the scriptures, we see like this golden thread all running all the way through the theme of God caring for people who are in need, who are oppressed, who are in poverty, who are struggling with injustice. You see it in the laws that God gives to his people. You see it in the words of the Psalms. You see it in the words of the prophets. You see it, of course, in the way that Jesus lived his life. You see it in the early church, in their generosity. And you see it beyond the early church that we have in our New Testament letters. You see it in some of the stories that we know about the early church. Ones where they, they really naffed off and annoyed an emperor who said very grumpily, they don't only care for their own people, but they care for, they care for ours as well. And he was trying to justify um, persecution and he was getting very cross with how these Christians were living. So all the way through the scriptures, we see that a key hallmark of being part of the people of God is actively caring for people living in poverty. And when it comes to the climate crisis, it's not only impacting the wider natural world, but it is also deeply impacting those who have done the least amount to cause 
the problems that we're facing. At Tear Fund, we hear every day how the climate crisis is devastating the lives of people living in poverty, causing deep social issues as well. I was talking with a colleague from Mozambique who was telling me about some of the communities that she's involved with and how because of failing, um, failing weather patterns or extreme weather patterns that are caused from the climate, people aren't able to grow their food and so they're being pushed further back into poverty. What happens is that then as a result of that, families are needing to sell their children into early marriage because they can't afford to feed them and they need the money. Then when you have families that are under deep stress from poverty, one of the signs of that is the, one of the symptoms is that the men respond by taking out their frustration um, in domestic abuse. And so incidents of domestic abuse are rising. And education is suffering because people can't afford their children to go to school. So you may have boxed climate into a particular area, but it also has deep social implications as well. And again, we come back to the scriptures that we see. The Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry, and he calls us to do the same. In our world today, you cannot care for people in poverty without caring about the climate crisis and taking action and indeed on wider environmental issues. So it's the same for people in poverty in our own area as well. When you think of some of the issues that are impacting the most, things like food deserts or the energy crisis, fuel poverty, pollution, all of those are social issues and they're environmental issues. We have to hold those things together. So we cannot claim to be the people of God if we do not actively care for people living in poverty. And we cannot care for people living in poverty without thinking about the wider environmental issues that are a part of that. So right at the heart of our Christian faith, what, what then do we do about it? How do we turn these words in the Bible into some kind of practical response? And I want to talk very quickly with you around standing in the gap. I want to stand in the gap between the problems that I see now and the solutions that I want to get to and the kind of world that I want to see and we stand in the gap by giving, acting, and praying. So let's give. Do you know, Jesus talked about money more than anything else apart from the kingdom of God. It really matters how we use our money. And I would love you to be generous towards organizations like Tear Fund. Some of you will know about Arosha, organizations that are very specifically responding to the climate crisis. We at Tear Fund, we work with communities all around the world who are facing that impact. And we're helping them with things like renewable energy and climate smart agriculture and looking at how they can cope with the changes as well as increasing um, floods and droughts and being resilient as communities to respond to those 
Um, I've got the books that Pete very kindly mentioned. I've got at the table at the back, along with some other tier fund literature that you're very welcome to take. You're not welcome to take the books without buying them. But the tier fund literature, you're welcome to take. And I would love you to support us because we can't do the work that we do with, without people's Christians standing together and supporting us. So do have a look at that. So we stand in the gap by giving, by acting, Let's take action today. One of the, the main things you could do today, by the end of today, contact your local MP. You'll be able to find it online how to do that really easily. And ask her or him to push the government to fulfil the promises that they have made at COP, their, their Paris climate commitments. Two key things there are around us swiftly moving from fossil fuels to renewable energy. We should have been doing this over decades because we've known about this for decades, but we haven't done it with the seriousness that we need to. And that, that is the only solution, is to move away from fossil fuels and onto renewable energy. Um, and of course, there's a whole range of stuff underneath that. But we must do that. And then secondly, we need the climate finance delivered that the government has promised. So really practical, contact your MP, ask them to push the government over the next two weeks to take serious, meaningful action at the COP28 talks. And then we can take action in our own lives as well, thinking about the kind of energy that we use, about our resource use, living in ways that are just respectful and mindful and gentle in this world. And as Pete said, the different books that I've got at the back are all there to be a resource to you, to give you more ideas and some deeper biblical thinking as well. So do have a look. There great stuff there for Christmas. Super special offer. If you buy all, you can buy all four at a very reduced price. That's even less than buying three of them. So don't miss out on that, particularly for your kids or for friends. Someone bought a whole set for their neighbours after the first one. Um, but they're there to help you uh, go from here and continue what you're doing and do more. So we stand in the gap by giving, acting and praying. And I do believe that prayer changes things. I know I don't need to say that here. I know that's the foundation of what you are built in, built on. But prayer changes things. And sometimes when I look at the huge challenges that we're facing, literally all I can do is get on my knees, quite often in tears, and just cry, God have mercy. We need God to have mercy. We need to act. We need our governments to act. But we need God to have mercy. And he tells us that when his people repent, he will heal their land. And we need our land healed. So I want us to pray. And I want us to do that now. I want us to stand in the gap by giving, by acting, and by praying. So would you, would you be willing to pray now for the COP28 talks and for our own roles in what we see? Do you want me just to... Yeah, why don't we stand up?
The psalmist tells us not to put our trust in princes. Don't put your trust in princes, but put your hope in the Lord your God. And that's what we do when we pray. The princes are all gathering at COP28 and they need to act. But ultimately, our hope is in the Lord our God. So let's pray. Loving, creating, sustaining, saving God, we come to you today in deep humility, knowing that we have not done what you have wanted us to do, and we have not taken care of your precious world in the way you've asked us to. We don't come triumphalistic, we come deeply regretful. And we acknowledge to you, Lord God, that that we have failed. But we put our trust and our hope in you. And I ask that you would show each of us how we can live in ways that bring honour and that are respectful and loving of this amazing world. And that think about the impact of our lives on other people. And Lord God, we bring to you specifically today the talks over the next couple of weeks. We pray for all the governments and the negotiators that are going to be present. We pray particularly for the man who's leading the talks, coming as he does right from the heart of the oil industry, needing to bring solutions to the climate crisis, needing to bring in renewable energy, that ambiguity that is right at the heart of this year's talks. And Lord, I pray for conversion moments for him, that you would break into his heart and break into his mind, that there would be a shift in his thinking and that you would give him deep wisdom and courage. So Lord, we commit this time to you these next couple of weeks And ultimately, we come to you and say, Lord, would you have mercy and heal our land? Amen.